Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The title of this podcast interview is A Mentor and Protege Reunite. <laughs> now, before I even get going, uh, my guest today, I, when I, in my, my onboarding form, he, he advised me that, you know, we asked the question, how many... Uh, social media followers he has he claimed 125 billion this galaxy and the next i hope there's no exaggeration in that rex because there could be legal issues <laughs> so let, let me let me tell you uh about some of the things we'll discuss before i say who my guest my you know and quite frankly i've been saying that all my guests have been special because i really discovering that everyone is special in some way but i've got to say this is the most special guest I've had. And you, you know, viewers, listeners, you judge if, I, if I'm being, uh, you know, if I'm just, if I'm being sincere or not. And because this guy has touched me in very legal ways, by the way, very legal ways. So let me just talk about some of the things that we're going to talk about. We're going to discuss that there's no such thing as self-sabotage, that you are not broken and you don't need to be fixed. We'll discuss how to get unstuck. We'll talk about his new book, his awesome new book, and his valuable online programs. And now let me introduce who our guest is. Before I read his bio, which is his incredible you know, body of work and resume, I will tell you that truly this guy is my mentor. And when I first learned about NLP in the 90s, uh, I was seeking out a place to get trained. And I, I had it narrowed down to about a half a dozen institutes. And one of them was this guy in his institute. But my, my desire to get trained, it waned, so it never happened. I still, I always loved NLP, but I just never, you know, that, that commitment to get, waned, uh, to get trained never happened. Like 17 years later, I finally got trained by him. He, he, Jonathan Allfeld tapped him. Jonathan Allfeld couldn't stop singing his praises. And I said, yeah, I know who this guy is. And so we went down to Orlando and I was trained by him and he blew me away. And, and one, of the things, one of the things that really impressed me is he said, I present myself. Uh, and he said, yeah, I'm an asshole. I said, listen, this guy is me. Because, you know, anyone who can admit he's an asshole is either being sincere or insincere. I saw, I sensed his sincerity. <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek because this guy really, he is my primary, not just my primary NLP, te NLP teacher. He influenced me in so many ways that I said, well, I want to learn more and more and more of what this guy is about. And that's exactly what I did for a long time. I picked his brain and he taught me so much. And He's, he still influences me to, to this day from the things that I've learned from him. I, I'm, I, I consider myself a mind designer. We'll get into that. Uh, and this is the guy. And now I finally have him on my podcast. It's kind, we've kind of come full circle. He got me started really on this professional coach business. 
uh, in professional change worker business. And now I have this pod, this podcast, which is affiliated with my company. And now I finally have him as a guest and it's, I feel, I feel giddy, quite frankly. I feel like a little schoolboy. <laughs> but who is this? Who is this man of mystery, you wonder? Well, his name is Rex Sykes, and he has been my mentor for a long time. He has four decades of experience helping thousands of people transform their minds and lives. His innovations include mind design and direct quest directed questions. He is a master trainer of NLP and DHE, a master hypnotherapist and master hypnotist, whole brain accelerated learning, the law of attraction, and is the founder of the Idea Seminars. He conducts online programs on transformation, mind design, LOA, NLP, and at public events. Sykes is a professional speaker, life and business mentor, consultant, and an educator. He is an actor and filmmaker and consultant to the entertainment industry. In addition to his blog, Daily Inspiration and Gratitude, Rex is an author, creator of the Attitude Activator, and featured on Learning Strategies Euphoria program. Rex presents seminars, public and corporate programs, full workshops and training events. His mentors, he mentors professionals and newcomers in their fields, like yours truly. He, he is a keynote speaker. Uh, he, he is a keynote speaker, the power of your mind to get your goals, increase your bottom line and make your dreams come true. His captivating message inspires audiences and will main, remain with you. He has appeared before millions acting in films, television, radio interviews, and commentary. His topics include making your dreams come true, conditioning, and nutrition for the mind why affirmations don't work and how to get them to work. Rex, have patience. I got to say this stuff. This is all, people need to know this stuff. Uh, how to get them to work. Creativity and intuition, making a great impression, creating rapport, and how to understand and utilize body language. He has consulted for attorneys and news media offering commentary on famous trials and celebrities. He has programs available on productivity, diversity, and other topics for business. He coaches actors, directors, performers, speakers, and consults for movies and television. With that all said, ladies and gentlemen, another, Mr. Rex Steven Sykes. That's Hello, Tony. How you doing? That's your cue to finally start speaking, Rex. Take it. <laughs> How are you? Hey, you know, uh, I, I, go on. Go ahead. I mean that so sincerely. This guy really has touched me. Rex, you are the man. I've, I've professed this to you, but now I, you know, I'm making a public declaration. I love you, man. You are the man. I love your guts and I love you wholly. You know, in the army, in the army, when I was in the army, we, we loved each other, our comrades, but we were macho, tough guys. We had to say to each other, I love your guts instead of saying, I love you. We had to modify it that way. But Rex, I don't just love your guts. I love the whole Rex. So you are the man, you are so, you're not just my mentor, you're my friend. I consider you a kind of brother uh, and you are the man. I, I, I saw, and, and, just, and just like I said, you coming on this, on this program is, is sort of like coming full circle for me, even though I have much, much more to do. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, not a vindication, but it's just, it's just a wonderful how life plays out. <laughs> 
Well, indeed. And, and, and with all of that, I assume dinner's on you tonight. Uh, don't go that far. Right. Take it easy. Bring it in well, a notch. Listen, for those who are watching, um, you know, I too wouldn't be here if it weren't for Tony and I wouldn't have the book that I have if it weren't for Tony. Tony helped me incredibly with uh, life on your terms. And, and, uh, and I'm always grateful for that. And it's been a pleasure knowing him. And, and my question today is, is how can I better serve you? you well, know? Yeah. Let's talk about the book for a moment. You know, I'm, but for those uh, listening, you, you can watch on YouTube and see that I'm holding up uh, Rex's book. It's a wonderful book called Life on Your Terms. Now, and I was his first editor, uh, and which was my privilege, quite frankly. It was awesome. It was, you know, and Rex was, a, he was like a slave master, quite frankly. He made me cry several times. <laughs> but I've been known to do. <laughs> but, uh, before he finally fired me as, as his editor, after about 15 versions, I, well, what happened was I tried to steal his book uh, and, and uh, it had a working title of uh, Stop, Stop uh, Whining, Start Winning back then. And then I had swapped the names. It's, it was Stop Whining, Start Winning by Tony Petroza, edited by Rex Sykes. And then he flew off the handle, threatened to sue me. And no, I'm kidding, of course, but I, I actually was the first editor. That's the, that's the one thing of truth that I said. I was the first editor. I mean, you were, you were very instrumental in helping shape the direction that the book ultimately ended up going in and, and being. So I'm forever grateful and I'm in your debt in that regard too. So, you know, your contribution is, is, should be, and is heralded. So thank you. My, thank you, sir. And my prediction, of course I'm biased, but my prediction that this book well, I'm not saying it's going to become huge, and I'm not saying it's going to be like, you know, uh, think and grow rich, but I predict that this is going to be known as one of the top 100 self-help books. That's my prediction. Yeah, I'm biased, okay, but th that's how useful this is, how pragmatic it is, how accessible it is. You know, it's not like, it's not like written for the self-helper. It's written for a person who just wants to improve themselves, and, and if you do, this is the book for you. Well, and I'm happy to report that other people have expressed similar sentiments, in fact, saying that it is like Think and Grow Rich and will be up there with Think and Grow I mean, I couldn't be happier. You know, the foreword was written by uh, Karen Barbin, who is the great granddaughter of Napoleon yes. Hill, and her mom is the granddaughter. And, uh, you know, I got to meet, you know, Karen and... Uh, and we hit it off immediately because she was like, hey, you know, you reflect my grandfather's work. And so I am so happy that uh, she wrote the foreword and, and contributed that way. She could, you know, we became friends and, and, and I'm just very pleased, you know, to, to have that connection. And of course, Don Green is the um, CEO of the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And he, while he's not you know, credited in the in the book or you know the testimonials there. He came along later and 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 said what he thought about the book. So and we've be, we become good friends as as a result. So, I saw your interview with him it was fantastic. I'm very blessed. Yeah, and and um, he's a remarkable guy. You know, I mean, he's been doing this for a long, long time. Before he did that, he was successful. You know, in the banking industry. So you know, I I just really feel blessed that in my life one of the abilities that i've always had because i had the desire to do so was get to the top people in any field that i wanted to be in whether it was movies or the field of magic and entertainment or online you know live performing um self-help meditation you know gurus i mean you know 
I, I just have a way of, of the knack of, of reaching out to people and, and having them mentor me too. So the reason why I am or where I am today is because of all the people who went before me who've contributed to me in, in ways that I can't even begin to recount, all the way from ancient masters way back when to current thought leaders. And, and those people that I've influenced who've gone on and surpassed me or who've taken my materials and who are using them and spreading them you know, throughout the world so that more and more people can transform their lives. And my approach has always been, you know, you don't need massive action and it shouldn't be hard work. And I, I don't like the no pain, no gain thing, although all of it's valid is, is you should have fun and delight and be able to transform your life and enjoy the journey all along the way. You know, some people take a vacation and it's like from home to where they get to their destination is hell. They hate it. It's the travel hell. They don't like it, you know, and everything. And I go, the moment you're leaving home is when the, the vacation begins. <laughs> so it's the entire journey that counts. And then it's the days that you're gone and the, all the way back so that you come back refreshed and renewed, feeling wonderful. You shouldn't, you shouldn't come back from a vacation feeling crappier because the, <laughs> because the journey wasn't right. And so the same thing with your personal development, you know, it should be delightful. It should be fun. It should be exciting. It should be, you know, everything you hope it will be. And yes, there'll be some bumps along the way or some detours along the way. And those are all part of the adventure. So enjoy it and celebrate everything. And let, me have, touch, have, let me, let me touch on something you said, you mentioned how, you know, how ancient philosophers and, you know, how you're so influenced by, by many people of diverse uh, a diverse uh, people, amount of people, or diverse kinds of people. Uh, I'm studying right now. I, I I told this. I had I spoke with Rex recently about a week ago, and I told him I'm studying uh, Marcus Aurelius right now, Stoicism. I'm like a lot of what Marcus is saying. Rex has Rex has taught me, <laughs> you know. It's, uh, and so I'm not saying Rex stole from him. I'm just saying that these guys know what they're talking about because <laughs> this stuff is great. Like you're know, like like celebrating everything, which is, you know, mind design stuff. That's Rex's, Rex's uh, copyrighted program. Uh, I, like I said, I call myself a mind designer, you know, so you don't, you don't, you don't see things as negatively, see things as positive. If you don't see them that way, find the positive side. There's a positive side somewhere. If you look uh, and, and to see bigger, yeah, see the bigger picture, to believe in the providence of things. Man, these things make a big difference when you start subscribing to them. You're just beginning to start to subscribe to them instead of looking, you know, being negative or complaining, which is, you know, I don't have to tell you, the listener, the, the, the viewer, how that feels. It sucks. <laughs> you might get something from it, but uh, it's probably not nearly as much as you could get from having being in a positive or a glorious state. Uh, that's one of Rex's words. By, by the way, here, I want to say something before I forget. If you're if you're if you're listening, you've got to you've got to go to YouTube and watch because you'll notice the shirt that Rex is wearing and the one I'm wearing. <laughs> now, you'll notice how similar they are. Now, I, you know, I go like through cycles of shirts that I wear when I interview people. This shirt that I'm wearing now, I put on about a week ago, and then after uh, one or two interviews, I, I said to myself. Where have I seen this shirt before? And then I realized it, that it's very similar to Rex's 
favorite shirt. Now I know I know Rex very well. That's why I'm calling it his favorite shirt because I know it's his favorite shirt. And I'm like, wait, look how this I'm Rex's protege, and now I have a shirt just like Rex. I am Rex Junior. <laughs> look how did you, did I surprise you wearing the shirt when when you came on and saw it, Rex? I love it. I told you I put this on just for you. See, see how that works? That's great. No, but 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 it, that said. You know, you, you mentioned Marcus Aurelius, and certainly he predated me by thousands of years. The, uh, a few hundred years, maybe. Okay, but the point the point I'm making is is that, you know, we we can you know uh, we can read these masters and you know imbibe them and incorporate that from our life. But there's another thing that's actually at work in this very magical universe, and that is, you know, great minds think alike, and I don't mean that in in a, in a self-aggrandizing way. What I mean that in is is that you know when the Nobel Prize is awarded, oftentimes what they do is they they reward or they give out multiple awards to people who are independently doing the same research at the same time, unbeknownst to each other in many cases, you know. And so they get here's the person who's doing this, and there's there's the other person who's doing this, and here's the other person who's doing that. And so they can't decide which one to give it to, so they give it to all three because they're all working on the same thing. So my, my point is this, is whether or not you've been influenced by reading a master from the past, or whether you come to it when there are universal timeless principles, and some people call them generalized principles, some people call them, you know, timeless principles, some people call them laws, but in a law is different than a rule, but there are laws like gravity, you know, we are all, you know, susceptible to gravity, we, we don't operate without it. And so in the same way, these laws, by the way, LOA is law of attraction for those who don't know, which is kind of a misnomer. It's really the law of vibration. It has to do with other things, but, but uh, it got popularized as that. The, um, the point I'm making is, is that whether, whether you have been influenced directly by somebody from reading their work or whether you kind of stumbled onto it in your own consciousness through your own personal evolution and your own ability to transform and transcend you know, current limitations, who cares? You know, I mean, it, you know, birds of a feather flock together. And so you're bound to come across these principles, you know, and somebody said, well, hey, you know, you got that from a book. And so I never read that book, you know, because you don't have to. It, they are out there. This is the universe we're talking about. And when you raise your vibration and your consciousness, you start to kind of get into the flow with what's going on and what's being broadcast all the time that uh, you uh, otherwise would miss. Something I really embrace uh, that. Napoleon Hill espouses, as well as you, is that we are both antenna and receiver. A receiver. I, I said that the New York way. Receiver. Uh, receiver. That, and 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 that. And, and when you're Big conscious time. of that, you can better capitalize on that. And realize that. Go on. No, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. And then people, to and, people and go, and then, oh, that's bullshit. That's not true. That you know, this whole thing is like woo-woo stuff. Well, oddly enough, it's not. If you look into current research about mirror neurons. Two people in the same room can literally be having the same feelings or ne nearly literally the same thoughts without realizing because they impact each other. It's the ability of the brain to connect with another brain. We're all connected. So if if you're standing, you know, we used to, this phenomenon has been going on for thousands of years. It's been described for thousands of years. And the only thing that science really does today is validate what we already knew, but didn't have a way of, of saying what was occurring. All right. So we used to say, imagine you're standing in a room, 
and you're talking to some people and somebody comes in and they're really, you know, volatilely angry. They don't say anything. They don't come in in a huff so that they disrupt the room in any shape, way, shape, form. They're just their attitude. And suddenly the room, the energy in the room kind of like gets sucked out like through a vacuum, right? And people turn around and like, what the heck is going on? Well, what's happening is if somebody comes in, they are broadcasting exactly what's going on with them by the way they look, by the way they act, by the way they speak, the way they move, the way they don't move, the way they don't speak. So, you know, it's just it's exuding from them. Right. So other people's neuro, mirror neurons are literally picking this up and then they're beginning to experience it because the job of the mirror neurons is to, to replicate what you see outside of you or to connect with another person, which is why we feel em empathy, essentially, which can be a good or not so good thing, depending on whether you're sucked down the rabbit hole of, of despair or whether you're spiraled up into the, you know, the elevated fields of joy. Um, so what happens is this one person feels it, then the next person feels it, then pretty soon the entire, it starts to spread through the whole room. So your back is turned and you start to feel it. So you turn around and go, what the heck is going on? You know, and then you can go almost right to the, right to the source. The same thing works in reverse, where if it's very positive or a celebrity walks into the room, then suddenly everybody, you know, kind of lightens up and all their mirror neurons go, whoa, and then you turn around and go, oh, wow, look at that. So it, there is a physiological thing. Not that long ago, science used to tell us this is all in our mind. You know, the placebo effect is all yeah. just, you're just thinking it. You just, you know, it's a belief. You shouldn't believe those silly things. Now, when I started my work back in the late 70s, early 80s, and started to research about placebos and visualization and all this stuff, there were 100, 150 studies at the time, not very many. Now there's like 45,000 studies on this stuff. And, and what they seem to concur with is that Thinking, if you think negative thoughts, for example, or you're frustrated and you're thinking negative thoughts and you're having a negative conversation with yourself, you're worried about circumstances, that's affecting your physiology. You're, 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 you're really just a bag, a carbon-based vehicle, like a rental vehicle. You know, you're occupying this rental vehicle that is run by electricity and chemicals. And so when you think, whatever you think squirts certain neuropeptides or hormones. If you think positively, you, it affects you in one way. If you think negatively, it affects you in another way. So your body is responding. So if, if you're negative a lot of the time or pessimistic a lot of the time, you're creating stress in yourself. That stress is reflected inside your body. Inside, and so people end up with disease and disorder or illnesses or physical pains because of what they think between here and, and or if you think really happy and positive and joyful stuff, why I did the Attitude Activator was back in, back in, in many, many years ago, Travis Air Force Base did a study with uh, about 152 or 157 cancer patients and determined that attitude was the number one predictor for success in health and healing and in overall longevity. Your attitude towards the treatment itself mattered whether or not the treatment tended to be successful or not successful. So at that time, there, was, there weren't that many studies, but there were enough to say something's going on. And at that time, medical science was saying, oh, this is all crap. Now they go, whoa, we were wrong. And there's an effect and it's a major effect and it has all sorts of far ranging consequences. So attitude is the number one predictor for everything, success, happiness, well-being, connecting and relationships everything because the more optimistic and positive you are the higher vibe you are the more you broadcast that out to other people 
the mirror neuron thing, and into the universe, essentially. So you are a broadcasting station and you're a receiving station. And if you're broadcasting, you know, some crappy stuff, like on, we'll say 88.7, you know, <laughs> you need to, I don't know what radio station it is, so forgive me. <laughs> you're going to you be know, getting sued for that one, Rex. Well, what, but my point is this, is that a lot of people, this is a rental vehicle. So think of it as if you've rented a car, right? And you're driving in the car and the radio is ongoing and you can't change the channel and it's just the worst thing you hate, right? That's kind of like what most people's self-talk is all about. It just goes on and on and on and on and they don't know how to change the channel. They can't get off of what's being broadcast. Well, the good news is that you actually can. So, but if you're at 88.7 and it sucks, and you can get to 105.3, and this is what is really marvelous, then, then that's how you will live. So you'll either live at 88.7 or, or 105.3. Turn that yeah. dial, people. Exactly. And, and here's something. Here's a little tip for people. If at nighttime you watched a scary movie, right, and you shut off the, you shut off the TV, a lot of people go, oh, my God, I can't sleep. I'm terrified. They think over and over and over and over again what's, what's wrong. And they try and force themselves to sleep and they can't go to sleep. You know what to do? What? Turn the TV back on and watch a funny movie. <laughs> watch a romance. Watch something else. It's easier to, to distract yourself and pay attention to something else that's enjoyable than it is to fight what's going on. Because the more you fight it, the more you resist, the more it persists. Now, consider this. We know that, and you've seen this for decades. You've heard about it. Imagine you have a lemon. And we're going to cut into the lemon and you're going to take that lemon and go, mm, right? And suck all that juice out and you notice that you salivate, correct? You already saw my face. <laughs> but, but get this, when you were a kid, if you thought there was a monster under your bed and you were like hiding under the covers and your parents come in and go, what's going on? You go, there's a monster under my bed. And they go, come here. And they turn on the light. They show you that there's no monster. They go, see, there's no monster. You go, yeah, yeah, but it's not there now. Right? And you get back and you responded as if there was. You sweat, you're nervous, you're terrified, you're feeling, your thoughts, everything. Absolutely. So your brain, what you think about actually affects your body. It affects, and that affects the kind of results that you get. So if you think you can or you think you can't do something, you're absolutely correct, says Henry Ford. And and if and so in order to to you know to you know we believe there were monsters, and it turns out there weren't, but we acted as if they were there. You know, and our bodies responded the same way because of Let our me compliment that. Let me compliment that because you're talking about a child's belief, but it's, it makes no difference for child or adult. All right. They, they operate from our belief the same way. And I learned this directly from you. Uh, and I said, well, Rex, I'm having trouble believing that I can do this. Should I stop believing? You know, I was, I was getting, you know, I was your student and I was learning so much from you. So I just stopped believing that. And you said, yes, <laughs> stop, stop believing this shit belief. <laughs> Cause if it's not serving me, it wasn't serving me. Right. And he said, just stop believing that. Now, of course there are various methods you can do to change limiting beliefs into empowering ones, but, but basically that's it. Stop believing in crap beliefs. So that you can have better things or have be a better person, whatever. But we don't have to believe anything. We that's our own construct. Well, here precisely, Tony. That's a great great thing because here's the thing: people believe their beliefs, and their beliefs oftentimes are inaccurate or wrong. Mm -hmm. And instead of getting all bent out of shape about, oh, I have these beliefs, change them. I mean, it's, it's like you change your wardrobe, you put on that shirt this week, and apparently you haven't taken it off in a week, but uh, 
month. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is this is the thing that I that I even say in my book. You know, people will say that's not me, or it's unlike me, or I can't do this, or I won't do this. Henry Ford had a beautiful quote that I absolutely love, and I believe I put in the book. That is, I never let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Mm. So if you're struggling with something, stop. I mean, just stop. Right. And here's here's the thing. It's a whole lot harder to dam water that's flooding down a hill, like a river, and to dam it up than it is to divert it, you know, to dig a path or to use sandbags to have it go somewhere else. So this is why turning a different movie on at night is is more effective than trying to press down all these scary thoughts. Just turn on a movie that makes you think differently. So if you believe something that isn't serving you, stop doing that. You know, it's like take your shirt off, change your shirt. Don't sit there and fight with the shirt, just take it off. If you believe something that isn't useful, that isn't serving you, or that's causing you distress or harm or affecting your health, stop believing it and distract yourself, shift into what you wanna believe. Now, here's something that's huge. Psychology, our culture would have us broken. Because if we're broken, if we're fighting- Rex, against- Rex, I know, you, you're, you're getting into another part of uh, another topic and I want to hear all about it, but let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor because you and I could go hours and hours on a stream of consciousness and being uninterrupted. So let's take a moment for a slight interruption to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back just where you left, left off about beliefs, okay? We'll be right back with Rex Sykes. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. Ever heard of accelerated learning techniques? What if you learn more deeply than ever before? What if you remembered what you learned far better than ever before? Visit www.proficio.io. That's proficio.io, where you can understand perhaps better than ever before. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza, and with my special guest, my mentor, Rex Sykes. We're talking about beliefs. Rex, I, I stopped you. Can you continue, please? Yeah, let me actually backtrack a little bit and uh, and say this. You know, from the time that you were conceived somewhere in the womb, you developed the ability to hear and to sense what was going on and around you, around the inside the mother and outside of the mother. And you didn't have language and you hadn't read a book or anything like that, but you were impacted. You were you were influenced by the sounds that you heard, the emotions of the mother, the chemicals that were the kinds of food she ate, whether there was stress or whether it was easy. If there were people yelling and shouting, if the mother was fighting with somebody or somebody was yelling, or if she's in a circumstance where she feels unsafe, the 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 fetus is being impacted. Now, the, the baby's born, the same thing is true. Now, this beautiful little child has come out. And here's what I would argue. You come into the world a joyful creature with very little genetic baggage, if any, but you might have some. And you come into the world infinite potential, open to anything. And from the moment that you're almost from the moment you're conceived to when you're born until you're about seven or eight years old, you are programmed by the primary caregivers, peers, authority figures, the media, the culture, the government, the world at large, anything and everything. You're like a sponge that just absorbs things. So if your primary caretakers are caretakers are having difficulty in the relationship, and they're fighting, that's what you absorb. And you'll start fashioning beliefs and even values, what's important to you as a result. So, and you'll hear things like, you know, um, never marry a person like this, or always marry a person like that, or 
true romance doesn't exist, or, you know, it's difficult to find love, or you're not a person of worth, nobody would ever love you, you know, you hear these kinds of things, and so you begin to make them your own, as opposed to understand, because you're too young, and you don't know any better, and it has nothing to do with you, it's these people talking among themselves, or they say, money doesn't grow in trees, we don't have enough, this is tough, you know, blah, 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 and we start to assimilate these beliefs, and we begin to think of them as our own, and primarily between zero and two, you're in what's called the delta brainwave state. And between two and seven or eight, you're in the alpha brainwave state or theta brainwave state, excuse me. So you're literally in the state of almost deep sleep and dreaming in the first couple of years. And then you're in the state of what hypnosis is all about in the, in the next six years or so. And then you begin, you know, schooling. This is why Aristotle said, show me a seven-year-old child and I'll show you the adult. Because you have, I mean, think about that. There was Aristotle saying this that many years ago, because we're conditioned. And then the rest of our life, we spend <laughs> validating. We spend, you know, having experiences going, oh, you know, mom is right, or this is right, or yes, the world is cruel, or I'm not lucky, or I don't deserve things, or it's so huge. You know, if you think the world friendly or unfriendly, you're right. I mean, that's what Henry Ford is saying. If you think you can or you think you can't, whatever you believe makes it so because it sets the framework for how you look out at the world and what it is that you discover in the world. So if you discover trouble and you focus on trouble, guess what you're going to find more of? More mm -hmm. trouble. If you find negativity, you find more negativity. If you find positivity and love and joy and peace, then that's what you would find. The problem with most people is that 97% of our population, 98% of our population will live uh, most of their life perpetuating what they were conditioned to do between zero and eight without realizing that they have the opportunity to transcend, to transform, to transmute, to change that programming and start to live by choice. What's, what's uh, a common thing that we hear a lot that a, a, someone, a child had a rough childhood and they due to their parents or they said I would never be like my my father my mother and they grew up to be exactly like them and they, and they said what happened well or this or you date the same person over and over again even though you say I will never do that or you marry right. the same person right. over same and over thing. again or you have the same money trouble over and over again you know you have this and then you know is we repeat it and here's how I like to think about it. repeat it until we learn the lesson and then we don't have to do it anymore. We don't have to repeat it anymore. But most people, because they are creatures of habit, will perpetuate those habits. So here's, here's the analogy that I used in the book that I was about to share a, a little while ago. That is, you know, Elvis Presley's, you know, white sequin jumpsuit, you know. Uh, a lot of people will say, I, that's not me. You know, I don't peacock that way. I don't dress that way. I'm not flamboyant. I have my own style. Like, I felt that way for years I, I used to wear blue jeans and like brown or green shirts I, I wasn't very colorful I didn't like like yellow or red or orange or purple or any of those kinds of colors I just brown green blue was fine and I went to work I was 19 years old I went to work for a woman writer in in Beverly Hills who said one you're wearing tight clothes and boring clothes and she said while you're in my home working you're going to wear these which made me feel like a kept man number one, which I didn't like. But she bought me Hawaiian shirts and drawstring pants and flip flops. Hey, is, this uh, a, is, this a, is this a Pat Collins story? No, it's not Pat Collins. It's somebody else. But, but I did work with Pat Collins too. But the, but the but the point is, is she wanted me to wear these around the house. She's like, you need to learn how to relax. I go, she says, you're too uptight. You know these tight jeans. You know were the fashion of the, of yeah. those days. But she's like, learn to relax so you can be more creative. 
and I it was it was uh, everything I could do to to you know say no I don't want to do this and to fight with her and she's like if you want the job you're going to do this and I did want the job so I did do it and eventually I got used to it you know I it, it became comfortable and I would go out we'd go to flea markets or we'd go down Sunset Boulevard and I'd be in drawstring pants and Hawaiian shirts and flip flops I was like pretty cool pretty soon I didn't want to change that for anything. So if you don't feel like you're the kind of person who could wear Elvis Presley's sequenced white jumpsuit, you know, that he wore, you know, um, but you were dressed up in that after wearing it a while, you, it, you would get comfortable with it. Well, that's happened with our beliefs. We've gotten comfortable with these beliefs. We forget that we, they, we wear arms aren't like that and we've made them our own. So here's the good news. Because you've been able to do that, you can do it again. You could try on something different and after a while you'd get used to it so if you think you can't and you start believing i can or i could or i could at least begin to learn how to i could begin to do this i'm the kind of person who this could be possible and you open that doorway and you try that on after a while you'll get used to it it'll become comfortable and you will forget essentially what how hard it was to to make the change and I use this, I teach juggling in all my programs, but you know, to juggle is difficult, right? You gotta keep a number of balls in the air. And so learning how to juggle seems impossible for some people and they start and they drop the balls and they get mad and they go, damn it, I'm dropping balls and I hate it and I'm no good. And they start going through this negative, you know, 88 point whatever seven um, dialogue, you know, and it runs on and on and on about how they can't do something. But if you just keep juggling, eventually you'll get good at it because the more you do it, the more you repeat it correctly, consistently for long enough, the more you do, the more you can do. And the more you can do and the more you do, the easier and better you get. And the easier and better you get, the easier and better it gets. So pretty soon you're juggling three balls, four balls, five balls. And as I like to say, then one day you're on a tightrope balancing on one leg of a chair, you know, juggling five balls with a chainsaw and eating a you know, an apple at the same time. You've, <laughs> yeah. learned, you've learned the process, you've mastered these different skills and the, and the better you get, the older you get. And here's the thing about the young whippersnappers. They go, I wanna have the 57 steps for change or I need the 300, you know, things. I wanna do that or in NLP, I wanna be a trainer. I wanna be a master. Master the basics. Just go to the foundation, the simple principles that, for example, we sh I share in the book and master those, reread the book. Do you know what they tell you now in order to understand a book, how many times you have to read a book? Once. <laughs> the same amount of times you need to try a food in order to educate your palate that this might be something you like. So think of this, people go to a buffet. What is a buffet? It's got some foods that you like and you know, it's got some foods you don't know, it's got some foods you absolutely don't like, right? So you take the food that you like, right? And then maybe you try something, you go, oh, all right, that's not for me. And you put it down, right? And then you avoid the foods that you don't like. When it comes to influencing a child and saying, hey, let's, let's try this food, they give it to him and the kid says, I don't want that. They say that it requires at least a dozen exposures. Frankly, they say 11. A dozen exposures to their palate in order to develop the taste. Wow. So what typically happens? They try it once, twice, three times. They go, I'm not going to eat that ever again. I mean, George Bush Sr. was like, I don't, I didn't get the president to eat broccoli. You know, I mean, a lifelong of no broccoli, right? 
They say the same thing about understanding a book. You must read it 11 to 12 times in order to understand what's in it. It's that repeated exposure in the same way it's that repeated juggling correctly, consistently for long enough that makes things a habit. So a lot of people race through a book, they read it, they go, yep, whatever, they put it down, they never come back, they do a workshop or a program, they don't go back and watch the tapes or listen to the audios or review their notes. Best thing you can do is constantly review your notes, constantly reread, constantly revisit, because when you do, you're starting to lay down the new neural pathways to develop new habits. And as you do that, the cool part about it is it gets easier, it gets better, you become more efficient at it, so then you can do more. The more you do, the more you can do is, is the outcome. So people sell themselves short. Tony, you know this, but we'll say this for the for the viewing audience. Do you know when most people quit? They're going to start a business or they want to start a diet or they want to learn to play basketball or so or, or learn a language. You know when most people quit? Just before the a great success. Before they start. <laughs> well, that, that's true. Yeah, most people I- don't start. They quit. They, they talk themselves out of it before they even get going. And then if they do get going right before they're about to succeed, all the shit starts hitting the fan, excuse my language, but all the stuff starts happening and they, and they quit. Well, when I, when I created uh, Proficio uh, and uh, you know, let's, okay, I'll say this and then we'll take a break. Um, That was the first problem I had to solve because I was, there were so many things. I bought so many books and programs that I never began. I never started. Because I just, because you said, I talked myself out of beginning, out of starting and you can, right. And that, and that's just only the first problem you got to get over. Right. Cause fin- cause I was really the world's greatest starter and the, and the, when the, and the world and the world's worst finisher. <laughs> right. So you got to get over both, but you know, if you don't begin, you, if you have absolutely no chance of finishing. Absolutely. And let's let, I, I thought, okay, let's take advantage of that. Let's cause. I've got any little crack you give me. I got to stop and <laughs> take a, take a break to hear from my sponsor and we'll come right back with you, Rex. I love it. This episode of self-help coaching is brought to you by Proficio. How's your financial health? Are you ready for emergencies? What if you actually had in you the wisdom of Benjamin Franklin? There's a reason why his face is on a hundred dollar bill. Visit www.proficio.io. That's P E R F I C I O dot I O where you can make certain that you're on the road to be financially independent no matter what happens. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with my mentor, Rex Sykes. He's talking about how most people, he's talking about so many things, but I just interrupted him when he said that most people quit just before even beginning. Want to continue with that, Rex? Well, suffice to say that if you want to cross the finish line, if you're running a marathon, the goal is to cross the finish line. Just keep going until you do. You know, if you don't, you don't. Here's something that I say so frequently. You know, the Wright brothers, because people want to know how to do things before they start. They they want to manage everything. It's, It's kind of part of being a perfectionist, even though they may or may not say it. And by the way, this all refers back to, you know, the monsters under the bed. It's what you believe. And if you believe that you can't do it, then you'll act as if they're, you can't do it. If you believe you can do it, then you start to act like you can do it. So, and this is what happens for people is that as they start, your brain, what is your brain designed to do? It's designed to do two things. That's all. Frankly. Uh, keep, keep you alive. Keep you alive. And, and keep to you keep you, what's the second thing? Keep you consistent. 
consistent, right? The thermostat. Yeah. I mean, in other words, your brain learns what to do. It's gotten conditioned by the time you're seven or eight. Not that it doesn't also get conditioned after that, but your primary conditioning, your primary, you know, your, your prime directive is set by about the time you're eight years old. <clears throat> that will influence you throughout your entire life unless you change it. Now, what do I mean by that? It means that, for example, Microsoft Word is a software. I mean, let's let's take it out of the domain of brand and let's just say that that um, publishing software, you know, typing software, um, is 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 designed so that you type whatever content you type. If you make a mistake in the content nowadays, there are there's some autocorrect, but if you but technically, if you make a mistake in the content, you hit print the mistake is printed <laughs> you know in other words it doesn't go back and evaluate what you put in there and this is the same way with the brain the brain doesn't go back and evaluate whether you're doing something right or something wrong or whether you're good or bad or whether you're white or black or gay or straight or you know republican or democrat it doesn't it doesn't care about any of that stuff you may consciously but it doesn't i think the brain does care if you're a republican actually <laughs> and um so so the point is this, is that the brain doesn't, the, the brain, the subconscious and the conscious, they don't make, the conscious mind does, but the subconscious doesn't make a judgment. Its only job is to serve you, right. to do what you've conditioned it to do, to learn to do these things and to keep you the same. It loves learning, but the caveat is this, is, 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 is and, and that is if you've learned to smoke or learn to be overweight or learn to be insecure or learn to be shy or learn to beat up yourself, you know, verbally or mentally or however you do it you learn to feel inferior your brain will keep you doing that if you learn to bite your nails or twist your hair or or be afraid of spiders your brain will keep you doing that because it thinks that's what you want it to do it doesn't know that that you don't want to do now you consciously go i want to stop biting my nails i want to quit smoking i want to do whatever and and the brain goes no this is what we do in order to keep you consistent so you decide you want to make this change and the brain says oh no, you're leaving your comfort zone. So it'll throw out doubts, doubts. It will show fears. It will show examples of when you failed, when you tried before and couldn't do it. Everything to talk you out of it so that it keeps you the same. When we said the thermostat is called homeostasis, meaning that if you set your thermostat at 70 degrees and it gets to be 72, 73, 74, the two, one of two things happen. Either the, therm, either the heat kicks off so that the temperature can lower or the air comes on, the air conditioning comes on so that it can cool it because the brain is designed to keep you at 70. So if it becomes, if it goes down to 68 degrees, the heat will kick on or the cooling will shut off in order to have the temperature raised to 70. It wants to keep you exactly where you are. Now it, it will learn new things, but if you wanted to learn new things, there's an easier way to do it. And what happens with most people is, is and, and you got to understand this, that the process of learning and the brain loves to learn and the brain loves to do things, but it will throw all these smoke screens or red hearings or, you know, or fears or doubts or anxieties or worries or frustrations or whatever up in advance of you making the change. And what can you do in order to change is to acknowledge that they're throwing them and go, thanks, but no thanks, thanks, but no thanks, thanks, but no thanks. Because if you try and fight them and push them down, you're giving energy to it. So you're engaged in fighting as opposed to releasing and letting go. You're engaged to damming the water, which takes more energy than diverting it. So if you say thank you, but no thank you, some people say cancel, but if you say thanks, but uh, that's really not who I am anymore, <coughs> acknowledge it and then release it. And people will go, well, how do I release it? 
you release it, you let go. You know, could I live without this? Yeah, I could. Okay. All right. Will I leave with that? Yeah, like dropping a pencil. You don't you don't know how do I how do I drop this? You just let it go. And and people well, then they'll go into the habit of overthinking because they think there has to be the right way to do it, because when they grew up going to the educational system, there were right answers. And if you didn't get the right answers, you were a bad puppy. So you see how insidious this conditioning is. Right. So the thing that people ought to do is to love themselves more, to have more fun, to enjoy things, to talk kindly to themselves, and, and to feel wonderful more of the time, because the more wonderful you feel, the more love you express, the more compassionate you are to people, the more you help others, the more that you benefit. The more that you fight being, you know, the old conditioning, the more that conditioning will rear its head, you know, and hiding under the blanket going, there's all these monsters here, you know, will just keep you doing that. I, I always tell people this, you know, what does stuck imply? I'm stuck. It implies no movement. Right. So if there's no movement, and you're stuck what do you need to do to get unstuck stop moving move it doesn't do any good to fight being stuck <laughs> you know and to validate being stuck and to, and, to, and to resist it and to get angry about it just start moving do something different hence in the attitude activator and I'll, I'll share this with you because the attitude activator is an incredible process it's so it's a relaxation tape that you listen to but the process is is such i love it that is designed to help you become aware in, while listening to it, of when you do get stuck. And it runs, it, it actually runs you through scenario. It's a general scenario, but because you can fill in the content. I, I wanted to create one tape that you could use for many things instead of creating many tapes. Um, I've, li I've listened to, I've listened to it at least a hundred times. But by the way, one of the reasons why is your ex-wife's voice is very alluring. <laughs> no, but it's really an excellent, excellent so, production. Yes, so indeed. But the, but the point is, if you can remember stop, drop, and roll, which is what they tell people to do if they're on fire, right? Stop. Don't keep doing what you're doing, because if you're running and you're on fire, you, you're going to fan the fuel, get it? So you stop, you drop, you, you can take yourself out in that regard, and you roll the fire out. What have you just learned to do? You've learned to stop, you take a pause in, in the attitude, actually take deep breath, you do something different, you smile, you, you move in a different way, and then you shift, you shift your thinking, you shift your behaviors, you shift to what you're doing. You know, so if you're really concerned and angry and upset, stop, start to breathe, maybe you skip a little bit or dance a little bit, or you go play with a child, you know, or you just change what you're thinking in your head. And in that way, what you do is you train your brain that whenever you're triggered to be stuck or to be frustrated or be fearful or be angry or to be doubtful or whatever it is, to become aware of that, it's like, thank you, but no thank you, stop, shh, take that pause, interrupt the pattern, and then move forward in a new way, the way you want. So you don't have to go back and dig through all the crap in your life. You don't have to find all the limiting beliefs in your life. You don't have to you know, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. There's no such thing as sabotage. Your brain is only doing what it's learned to do perpetually. And now what you've done is that instead of encouraging it to continue, because we all know the story. And if you don't, you know, the kid that goes to the wise person says, you know, what's, what is life about? And the wise man says, or wise woman says, you have two wolves inside of you and they're fighting. And the kid says, well, which one wins? He goes, the one that you feed right? The one that you nourish, the one that you encourage is the one that will win. So if you encourage, 
negativity and fear and you know and how do you encourage it by fighting it by resisting it by giving your attention to it because your energy flows where your attention goes that's a great trick too because just as you said what you fight is not it's not going to be victorious you're just keeping it keeping it you're harboring it I, we call this mental aikido years ago because when people do this they can only do that right, right? But with Aikido, what you're doing is you're using the energy that's offered you to get them to move in a different direction. You're actually using the force against them by not resisting what they're doing, but by giving into what they're doing. So it's easier to pull somebody who's pushing you is to pull them than it is to push back and fight them, because if they're bigger than you, they're going to win. But if you're smaller and you can use their energy against them, the same thing with your thoughts, your unwanted thoughts, your unwanted feelings and your unwanted behaviors. You stop fighting them. They're there so that you can learn to drop them, release them, to let them go, to actually take a pause and shift to what you want. So you don't have to go. Psychology and psychologists and our government and our religions and everybody would have us go, go back and uncover all your negative limiting beliefs. <laughs> and you don't have enough time in your life to do that. Think about that for a second. Right. If, if that's what you do, when do you get to be better? <laughs> right it's right. too it's too much work too much introspection you need well, some act <laughs> well here's the thing if your life isn't everything you want it to be you should know that you've got some limiting beliefs it's not it doesn't take a rocket scientist to right. figure that out right. if you're if you're living in a dump and you want to be living in a palace and you're not living in the palace obviously you're not thinking about how how much you deserve living in a palace <clears throat> i think this is a great one great advantage coaching has over therapy is that you know we're you know we're we're focused on on goals, which is a future-oriented thing, as opposed to reconciling with something happened in the past, which is in, in the past. You know that's gone. That's over with, man. <laughs> think I think of it this way, and, and a lot of therapies like that. And God love the therapists. I mean, they're, they're, some of them are really really awesome, and some of them really really suck. And uh, wisdom is knowing which ones are which. But the yeah. uh, Imagine wearing every single piece of clothing you've ever worn in your lifetime and dragging that with you so that you're now 50 years old, you're wearing every piece of clothing, you'd not be able to move. Right. But that's what people do with their beliefs and their wounds and their, you know, the, the resentments that they have and the hate and the loathing and the, all their problems. They drag them along and therapists would say, well, let's go back and resolve this and let's go back and uncover this and let's find out why you're broken. No, you don't need to know why you're broken. I mean, what does that help you to do? Now you have a, now you have another, I'm broken because when I was six, this happened. So what? Yeah. You don't need another excuse. You don't need another complaint. You don't need another blame. You don't need another reason. You don't need another whine. That's why the book originally was stop whining, start winning. You know, just stop it. <laughs> stop, interrupt the pattern and then shift. Right. Get it? So what, so the point is, is that just know that if you're not where you want to be, what do you want to be? And then aim your belief at that. So if you're like, I want to live in a palace and I don't, then go, you know, I, I, I deserve living in a palace. I'm the kind of person who could live in a palace. I can learn to do the kinds of things that would make the kind of money that would give me my dream home. I am able, I can do, because if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And as Henry Ford said, never let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. So never let what going through hours and years of therapy prevent you from doing what you could do today. And that is decide to be different and live with that decision and move in that direction. Because guess what? As I said earlier, 
and we didn't finish it. The Wright brothers did not know how to fly when they started. They were bike manufacturers, right? They didn't know how to fly, and they didn't ever get to know how to fly until after they first flew. Awesome. During the process, I mean, this to me is so obvious, and yet so many people miss that. Most people want to know what to do, how to do it, and they want to know that they're going to be all right. They're going to land on their feet in advance of ever trying anything. That's why they quit before they start. The Wright brothers' own father said, you guys are idiots. You're the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Give it up. Nobody thinks you're going to do this. You're stupid. All right? You're embarrassing us. So oftentimes happens with us, our own family members, people we love, trying to prevent us from being embarrassed or being disappointed, give us, give us stuff from their conditioning, right? So the Wright brothers didn't know. What they did was they failed continuously. Now, we think of failure a little bit differently because every time it didn't work, they made an adjustment. They made an adjustment and they continued. They made an adjustment and they continued. They made an adjustment and continued. And one day at Kitty Hawk, guess what? The plane flew and then they knew how to fly, right? Now it's now just a matter of tweaking it, making it better, enhancing it. And part of the thing is this. Gravity was working all the time. <laughs> It didn't change. The laws of the universe didn't change to let them fly. They didn't say, okay, well, here, we're going to be good. We're going to let the Wright brothers do this this time. So we're going to suspend gravity. They had to figure out the principles of lift that they didn't know existed until they discovered what they were doing was working. And then they went, oh, and then science came back along and said, well, the reason why the plane is flying is because of the window and the wing and this and the other and the momentum, right? And all planes have to take off essentially at the same speed. In order to create lift, you have to be going at a certain speed. So, you know, I mean, so there are there are things that kind of govern us, but it's, it's, and it doesn't care whether you're white or black or rich or poor or gay or straight or tall or, or short no. or fat or whatever. The principles of success are, are there and you can either learn and embrace them or remain ignorant and suffer. Right, right. I mean, and, 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 and sadly, 97% of the population will remain ignorant and suffer because one of two things, they don't know about it. They're, they're still believing their conditioning without becoming aware that they could live differently or they willfully choose not to. One of the things you taught me about motivation, which is related to the Wright brothers, is that it's a great misconception that people want to get motivated then start acting. And I learned this from you. I learned this and I correlated with my own experiences. Like, no, I get motivated once I, after I've begun moving. And I really, you really codified that for me is that I got to start moving and then I'll get real motivation, but I've got to get off my ass now. Well, and it's true. Motivation comes from doing, it doesn't come from sitting and waiting. Motivation isn't something that happens from the outside. It's something that happens from within. In fact, all stuff happens from within. That's it's true. from within to without kind of like from above. So below, you know, absolutely within to without. So if you want to be motivated to say, clean the house, First off, never say I'm going to clean the entire house. Say I'm going to clean this portion of the house because you always want to be winning. That gets, again, the title, Start Winning on my book. Because the more you win, the more you win. Right. <laughs> the more you win, the easier winning comes. What do winners do? Winners win. What do quitters do? Quitters quit. Okay. Absolutely. And, and so here's, here's the thing. So you say, I'm going to clean this portion of the house. I'm going to clean my desk today, you know, or I'm going to clean this drawer today. Make it small enough but significant enough that you do it and that when you're done, you go, wow, that was good. I'm glad I got that done because it should be meaningful, but not overwhelming. So you chunk it down to the appropriate size and you do it. 
And then having done it, you feel more like continuing. If you just sit there waiting for somehow to be motivated, it's just probably not going to happen. You know, you don't pull yourself up from your bootstraps. Now, Muhammad Ali said this too. He did say this. He said, I hate training. It's in my book. And he I said, I hate training. I, the last thing on earth I want to do is train. I don't want to go out on a cold day and run behind an automobile. He said, but I know that in order to be a world champion boxer, to be the best, I have to sacrifice what I don't want to do now. My feelings about that and actually do it now so that I get what I want overall. So in that regard, if your why is big enough, why are you doing it? If, for example, you go, I have to clean my house and nobody's coming over and nothing's happening, you go, yeah, get around to it. And you, you know, people put it off. But if tomorrow you found out that someone of great importance that you really admired and liked was going to be stopping by your house, you can bet that you'd probably clean it. And if you couldn't clean it, you would hire somebody to clean. You would find a way to get it clean. You'd call up all your friends and go, look, I have so-and-so coming by. Can you help me? And you would get it done. Right. Some way people don't get things done is they don't make it important enough to themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's gonna be, it's just, we just need to make a better why. And, and that's all it is. People, people say, oh, like, for example, uh, my friend says, oh, I have a trouble getting up in the morning. I'm like, well, it's just because you don't have the right motivation. If you smell smoke, you jump out of bed, <laughs> right? So it's, it, obviously the motivation is everything, which is not, not a, a contradiction of what we just discussed. You know, you can have motivation sitting there, but just don't expect that to be sufficient to, to accomplish the goal. You got to get moving. But let's take a moment for our, our final break. And we're to come back with the last segment with Rex Sykes. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What if you could get the results of being coached without a human coach? What if a computer could coach you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O.io, where you can get coached without scrutiny, judgment, or pressure. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with the man, Rex Sykes. Now, I've wanted to say many things but first of all i didn't dare interrupt the master during this interview <laughs> i mean that sincerely uh because really you're the one that people need to hear not me i mean and i got a couple of good things to say but you're the guy i learned so much from and um and a lot of the things that you said that we were you know i was going to ask you, you you actually you weaved in masterfully and I didn't even have to ask you the question. <laughs> you just covered the cover the ground. So I, I really we, we got it all covered. Uh, but one thing I wanted to mention about the attitude and, and attitudes, and of course I know you know this, is that attitudes are not just extremely important, but probably they're probably the only thing we have any real control over is our own attitudes, because anything really can be taken from us, whether it be maliciously or catastrophically, you know, or whatever. But our attitude is the one thing that nobody can take from us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Um, and attitude, what is attitude? It's really, it's just the thoughts that you think over and over again that shape your beliefs and that determine your attitude. Now, attitude, like when I did the attitude activator, attitude is not just being pumped up. You can have an attitude of playfulness. You can have an attitude of, of, of kind of flirty, you know, uh, inquisitiveness. You can have an attitude of, Sorry, uh, you can have an attitude of um, 
of, of delight. You can have an attitude of sensuality. You can have an attitude of confidence. You can have attitude. Any, I mean, anything. Think about it. You know, there are there. It's it's not that it's one thing. It's a process. It's literally what are you thinking? So if I'm thinking, I can't do something. I'm stuck. I'm broken. I'm not significant. I'm not worth it. You know, I probably feel down. And if I feel down, then my body gets depressed and my body starts to exemplify it. So you can look at somebody and go, that person's depressed or that person really looks like a you know, hang dog kind of thing, right? They look, they look really upset or they look really angry or they look like they're going to explode. I mean, we can tell this because of what's going on inside the body with people. So in the same way, the ability to say, I can learn to do anything is different than saying, I can do anything. So if you can't say I can do anything, at least begin to think I can learn to do anything. Because guess what? You've learned to do really stupid things, <laughs> but you've also learned to do really wonderful things. You've learned to, to maybe ride a bike or drive a car or skateboard or, or play piano or sew or swim. You learn to use a fork. You've learned to write your name. You've learned to read, you know, I mean, whatever it is that you've learned to do, you've learned, you've accomplished that. And the process of doing that, think about what it took to, to drive a car. You had to get in a car and you had to manage all these different things at one time. And you kind of talked your way through it going, okay, I'm steering. And then somebody say, okay, now turn the turn signal. Turn the turn signal. Oh my God. And if you grew up, you know, with a standard shift, you had to remember to clutch and then shift. And if you grew up with an automatic, you know, so all this stuff was going on and you kind of talked yourself through it, but you did it again and again and again. Or same thing with riding a bicycle. You might've had training wheels, but you got on and you had to trigger and figure out how to balance the bike and steer the bike and pedal the bike all kind of at one time. You didn't break it down into, oh, I have the pedal, so I'm just going to pedal. I'm just going to practice sitting on a bike, you know? And it was a holistic thing. It was a, it was it a all happens. Yeah, it's a gestalt. It all happens at one time. And your conscious mind goes from thing to 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 thing. But your subconscious mind, which is billions of times more powerful than your conscious mind, is starting to learn all of it. And one, of this, one of the, one of the uh, self-help authors that my father turned me on to who totally captivated me was Maxwell Maltz and oh. Psycho-Cybernetics. We are goal-accomplishing machines. So if we're not getting the goal, then we're just going to make some adjustment, Right. And we can accomplish the goal because we will accomplish the goal. Right, right. I love Maxwell Maltz. I mean, he was so far ahead of his time and so far behind all the ancients, you know. But I mean, he <laughs> was one of the first people who, who pointed out to the field of psychology and psychiatry, you know, what's going on with people. And then, of course, they, they took it and kind of bastardized it yeah. but, um, and, and got it wrong in many cases. But the, but the point is, is that a brilliant, brilliant person came from outside the field of self-help. I mean, he was a plastic surgeon, so he was helping people, but he wasn't a psychiatrist or psychologist. Right. What he discovered was that when people had cosmetic changes, they somehow still remained the same. Mm. And why was that? Because their image of themselves, what they had grown up being programmed to do, remained. And how did they, how did he encourage them to change? To begin to imagine them being different. In other words, to visualize, to, to work at the identity level, not at the behavioral level. And that's what too many people do. When problems happen, they try and fix the problem instead of fixing themselves. And I say that loosely because you don't need to be fixed. But the attention is in the wrong place. I'll tell you a quick story. And I love thinking grow rich for this reason, but there's a story about Edward C. Barnes, who was uh, essentially somebody who decided he wanted to be Edison's partner. And um, 
what Hill writes is that what began as a wish eventually became a white hot obsession. In other words, he decided I am going to be Edison's partner no matter what. And he then turned this into this obsession so much so that he jumped the freight train as a hobo, essentially without a ticket, without money, got to New Jersey, showed up at Edwin at um, Edison's you know, factory, said, I'm here to tell you, I'm going to be your partner. And Edison looked at him and said, in front of me is this hobo dressed like a hobo with nothing going for him except this look in his eye. He had this kind of look in his eye. And, and I've been around you know, the block enough to know when a person looks like that, there's something going on on the inside to pay attention to. So I gave him a job as a janitor, not a partner, you know, but a janitor. So a lot of people would right there go, screw that. I'm not taking a janitor job. That's beneath me. I came to be a partner. I'm not, you know, fuck it. It's not going to happen. Excuse my language, right? Not going to happen. He took the job and you read a little further in the book, it says for five years, he worked as a janitor and as his warehouse with no evidence, no visible evidence that he would ever be a partner. No, none of the factory workers thought he'd be a partner. Nobody, he didn't, you know, he wasn't running around going, I'm going to be a partner. I'm going to be a partner. He kept it alive inside his head going, I'm a partner of Edison. 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 Said that he intensified it. And one day, five years later, when some of the salespeople were having trouble moving a dictaphone, they, they said, this is impossible. Nobody wants it. Barnes said, I'll sell it. He sold it. He sold it successfully. Edison made him a partner and he died, retired a very rich man as a result. And if you go through Think and Grow Rich, you'll find example after example. Um, Napoleon Hill's son was born without ears, without even a hearing apparatus from the outside to the inside. And Hill said, you know, it bothered me at first. He said, but I realized that I wasn't going to accept that my son couldn't hear. I was going to condition him in every way that this was a blessing and that he could do it. And, and ultimately, Blair, his son, did end up hearing and did end up working for a hearing aid company and became a success in his own right. There's a story of the little color girl, and I say that because that's how it's written, who goes, my mama needs 50 cents. And it's, oddly enough, it's a, the, the relative of, um, are you Darby? who stopped three feet from gold, if you know that story. Yeah. You know, and it's, but it's one of his relatives who's, who, who, who the little girl comes and says, my mama needs 50 cents. And he's like, get out of here. Goes, my mama needs 50 cents. He goes, get out of here. My mama needs 50 cents. He's going to beat you. You know, he like takes his belt off to beat the kid and Gage goes, my mama needs 50, you know, and he reaches into his pocket and he gives her 50 cents. And then he's like, wow, what just happened? In other words, these people ignore circumstances in order to get what they want. Why 97% of the people don't get what they want is because they're stuck in circumstances. They're focusing on the reasons why they can't do it. It's the government doesn't give me the advantage. I didn't have the right education. My parents were poor. I'm poor. I don't have the money. I'm not enough. I don't know enough. My ex-wife is clamoring. My kids do that. They have every reason, every excuse, every whine, every complaint, every blame, and they're focused on circumstances instead of focused on accomplishing what it is that they want to accomplish, which is why, again, Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you are correct, and never let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. So instead of focusing on the circumstances, focus on, focus on transforming yourself to be the kind of person for whom doing what you want to do is easy. Change the focus Hence, the locus of attention and the locus of control. Put yourself at cause instead of at effect or as a victim. Start living as a victor. You know, there are scores of examples of people who are able to do this. Victor Frankl, 
spent a long time in a concentration camps and said, you cannot take my imagination from me. You cannot, you can imprison me, but you cannot take my imagination. You cannot take me. And he lived as a champion, even though he was in prison for a long time. Gandhi said, you can beat me and torture me and do all these things, but you can't take my mind. You know, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln failed most of his life until one day he ended up becoming president because he didn't quit. He didn't let, he didn't go look at how big a failure I am. He just kept going, you know, and, or you can go with Steve Jobs. You can go with Colonel Sanders. You can go with Lady Gaga. You can go with Oprah Winfrey, who as a child was raped, abused, pregnant, you know, poor, you know, who's now, you know, a multi-billionaire. So it's the people who decide, and it's really a decide, decision. I'm going to use a Bible quote right now. Choose you, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Hmm. And some people will say, well, it's Bible, so it's about God. And so, so, you have a decision right now, whether you're going to be positive or negative, whether you're going to find gratitude or whether you're going to find sorrow, whether you're going to be you know, focused on crap or whether you're going to, I say dark shit or diamonds. I love it. Right? Choose dark shit or diamonds. Dark shit or diamonds, diamonds, diamonds. And that's the choice that we have every second of every day. And so what some people do is they go, okay, I'll choose diamonds. And they choose it two or three times and some dog shit starts coming up and they go, okay, all right, whatever. And they start going back to the dog shit because that's what they've done all of their life. So they start getting, you know, because they're comfortable with the dog shit, even though they don't like it. I mean, this is the amazing thing about people. They can hate their circumstances and then not do anything to change their circumstances because they're comfortable suffering. Right. So they don't do anything. If you want to do something different, you have to do something different. <laughs> if you want to be different, you have to, if you want your life to change, you have to change some things in your life. Hence, you have to stop perpetuating the old, stop, take a break, interrupt the pattern and do something different, shift. One, Make, I, one thing I, I learned from you was that one of the most important lessons I learned from you is that our mind, my mind is the thing in control, not my yeah. subconscious. The subconscious serves my mind. That my mind is the general, the subconscious is the army. So I've got to assume authority and I will change the habits I want to by constant correction. I've got to continue to persist to the believe in my vision and pursue it. That's the, all done by my mind. Well, and it's true. And, and there's a little bit of a caveat to the whole thing. Your subconscious runs the show. Like you say, you're the captain, you're the, you're the general, you're the leader. You know, or or you're the captain of the boat, and the and the people inside the boat, the big steam engine, are are running the thing. So your subconscious runs everything. So what you think about yourself is is primarily dictated by the subconscious mind. Until you decide to think about I'm gonna, it, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to change it. And then you decide to change it, and your subconscious mind goes, nope, 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 not going to let you change, not going to let you change, not going to let you change. But you have to stay stay fixed because it's your job what your job my job everybody's job is is to train the subconscious mind for what it is that we want not go on with what it wants right. if we go on with what it wants we're living by default Absolutely. we're not living as champions we're living as losers or victims you want to have a victorious life living as a champion then you have to decide you're a champion and then live that way. You have to decide that you are instructing the subconscious mind. You're retraining it. You're reconditioning it. If you want the body of a sculpted athlete, like a weightlifter, you know, physique, Mr. Universe, Miss Universe, it doesn't come from wishing. It doesn't come from anything other than 
doing what it takes to condition yourself to have that body. What does that mean? Eat right, sleep right, do the right kind of exercise, and continue to repeat it until you have the body that you want. So it's a conditioning process that we go through. And people have been brought up in this culture and worldwide wanting it yesterday because we have instant on TV or our computers are faster because, and everything is based on speed, you know? And so, you know, nobody wants to actually do the work. And you have to realize that 200 years ago, people were primarily an agrarian society and they were agrarian entrepreneurs. So they got up in the morning and they worked their farm, their field, whatever. They raised their livestock they, or they hunted and fished or gathered or whatever they did. And they did it until the day was done. And then they spent some time, you know, with whatever candlelight or lamp oil or whatever. And then they went to bed and they got up and did it again the next day. There was a change in the industrial revolution where we became primarily a manufacturing society where now they encourage people to leave their farms and get a job and work for somebody else for a certain amount of money. And then they were crappy, you know, that's why unions arose was to protect the worker and make sure that children weren't harmed anymore. But we got into this idea that, oh, we could work for other people because at one time they would pay us and then there would be benefits and then there would be retirement, all of which doesn't exist anymore, you know? And the cost of living has gone up and everything else. So if you wanna take back your life, it's not necessarily gonna happen overnight. It's gonna happen by conditioning yourself to be that sculpted body you want. But if you engage in it now, in a short period of time, you can see incredible gains. So if you try it for 30, 60, 90 days, you'd be amazed at how much transformation can happen. And I will promise you this, that a right decision and a powerful decision to say, I'm not gonna do that anymore, I'm gonna do this instead, can transform everything. Doesn't mean that the circumstances suddenly stop. It just means that you suddenly take charge. You go from being the passenger at the back of the bus to actually driving the bus, and then you get to determine where the bus goes. And I'll finish with this because, in a, and that is, I was lucky enough in making a movie that I, I had to ride horse and look like I, I knew what I was doing. So I was playing death on horseback. I was chasing Charlene Tilton, the actress, in in this movie called Pale Horse, Pale Rider, based on the short story. And, and so I had to look like I knew what I was doing. I couldn't be bouncing all over, you know, some kind of amateur horseback rider. So they gave me, I mean, God, I love these producers. They gave me lessons, six months or more lessons of every day riding with the best horse wranglers in Hollywood at that time in the eighties. You know, I got the top cream of the top people to train me to ride a horse. And I had, I had ridden, I mean, I rode as a kid. But this was significantly different riding. This was stunt riding. I, I didn't have to learn to fall off the horse, but I had to learn how to stop a horse on a dime. I had to learn how to rear the horse up. I had to learn to do, you know, gallop at breakneck speed, you know, and then do this with a camera truck and another person and everything else. And you don't do it with a camera truck until you actually have a camera truck. But for six months or more, I, I, I transferred myself from somebody who was, you know, adequate on a horse to being really, really good on a horse. So that the first day we started shooting, one of the wranglers read up me and said, you look like you've been on a horse all your life. And I was like, oh, uh -huh. I, that was so cool. But here's the thing. If you don't know how to ride a horse and you go to one of these stables and you get a stable nag, the horse will take you around the path and dump you back where you started. Mm, right. It'll go where it wants to go, or it's not going to move at all. And you're going to sit there and go, giddy up, giddy up. And the horse won't move. And you're like, come on, come on. I can't get the horse to move. And the horse will just sit there because the horse knows you don't know how to ride it. 
with a really, 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 really well-trained horse, you have to be so on top of things because if you lean a little way this way, that's a certain command. If you put your rein that way, it's a certain command. If you lean a little way that way, I mean, there's so many things that you could do. They went through three different stunt women with Charlene because they couldn't control the horse because what they would do would confuse the horse. So you have to transfer yourself to be a really, really good rider. And they finally, on the fourth one, they finally got somebody who was able to do that for, for her. Me, works. me, they didn't care if I died or not. So they let me do my own riding. Which oh, I'm, Rex, I'm, Rex. I'm so grateful. No, I'm so grateful for, but here's the, here's the point. When you transform yourself into being a rider who knows how to ride the horse, then you tell the horse where to go. And then the horse will obey because it knows you're in control. And that's the subconscious mind. You have to control to let the subconscious mind know, hey, I'm the I'm one in charge. charge you're the servant we're not going to run these programs that you've always run we're going to do it my way Absolutely. and until and, and until you do that it will always be doing it its way and lastly let me say this science used to think that the brain was a jar and that it was filled and once it was filled it was done so you get to be 60 70 80 years old the only thing left was that the brain was going to slough off you were going to go you know lose lose your brain cells and then slowly you know go into decline we know now that that's not true. And I've been talking about this since at least the 80s. The brain is more like a jungle. I don't like the computer metaphor because a computer is, I mean, it works. It's, it's okay. I don't like the, you know, it's a car because, I mean, that all implies it can be fixed. The brain and your mind are living processes, you know, squirting chemicals, electrical stuff is ongoing. And it grows and it changes depending on what you think. So if you think basically positive, optimistic thoughts, your brain gets healthier your attitude improves. When your attitude improves, your health and well-being and longevity improves. If you think primarily negative, pessimistic, not so good thoughts, you end up squirting those chemicals, those electrical impulses, laying down those neural pathways because neurons that fire together, wire together. Remember that. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with more stress, disability, heart disease, cancer, whatever, because, because the brain literally has a physiological effect on the body based on what it is that you're entertaining predominantly in your mind. So, and this is why it says what you think about most you become. So if most of your time you're positive, you're going to have a positive life. If most of the time you're not so positive, you're going to have a not so positive life. And this is what 97% of the people will miss. But you who are listening, you who are watching have the opportunity in this moment to transform your life by making a powerful decision. And guess what? You don't need to take massive action. That's bullshit too. That's just bogus. Once in a while, yes, your car is stuck in the mud. You may have to take a little extra action to get it out. But what you want to do is do little things. Like for example, if your car dies and you got a couple of people that can push you and they push you at a certain point that you create momentum so that it's not that hard to keep the car going with just little bits of pushes. You know, you don't have to give massive push because the massive push will peter out after a while. But if you just give, continue to give little bits of pushes, the car will keep going. Now, if you're going to end up going up a hill, that's going to be a problem. So what do you do? You try and find the way around it so that it's the path of least resistance. And that can be an analogy for your life. Do the little things that get you a lot of mileage and then just keep doing them over and over again until you get better and better at it. And then pretty soon it's as automatic and reliable in a positive way as it was in the not so good way. And now you've transformed your, your life because you've transformed yourself and what you're able to do. Rex, you are the man. 
And anyone listening, you might have figured out why. And this is the first time I'll ever, I've ever admitted this publicly. When I created the virtual coaching program, I consulted with Rex, with you uh, a lot about, you know, how I should do this, you know, how I should help people get motivated and these, these things get started, apply, finish. And uh, no one helped me more than you. But okay. I, of course, now when I, when I become a bil- multi-billionaire, you're going to want millions from it. I probably should have kept that quiet, but that's okay. You know, I, I hear in this, in this awesome book, your book, Life on, on Your Terms, you wrote to me, Tony, you actually taught me everything in this book. Don't let anyone know. So it goes both ways. <laughs> you are the man, Rex. I love you. You have, you are just phenomenal. I really appreciate your time that you've given me and uh, the audience. Uh, if you're listening, please, uh, take heed of what Rex has said. You'll find that the stuff works, <laughs> but uh, you you make up your mind yourself. Rex, uh, you got any closing remarks before we go? Well, you asked me, yeah, you asked me if I had a free gift for everybody, and I actually do. Okay. So uh, I'll tell you about it. For those who have the book, Life on Your Terms, or for those who buy the book, you can get it at Amazon. Um, I'm giving away a training called the mastery loop, which is on mastering your mindset, your emotions, your behaviors, and any skill that you want to learn. You're going to be bowling or juggling or cooking or playing the piano or learning a language. It's called the mastery loop. It's the process of mastery and what we go through, what we can expect to discover and find. It's an online video training. Uh, It's been valued at $497 and I'm giving it away as a bonus, absolutely free to anyone who has the book. So you can go to my website, which is rexsykes.com. It's my name, R-E-X-S is in Sam, I-K-E-S. So rexsykes.com slash forward slash book, B-O-O-K. Tony, you put it up somewhere or something. And, um, and, and take your receipt code from Amazon, pop it into the appropriate window, and you'll get ac- uh, you know, access to this training. And it's my way of giving you something in addition to the book. Read the book, read the book again and again and again, because you will transform your life. But know this, um, as an actor, you know, people used to say, what's, what's more important, the script or the actor? And so I would take the script, I would throw it on the floor, and I would go, go ahead and act. And oddly enough, nothing happened, right? People would look at the script, I'm not doing anything, right? Because it takes the actor, it takes you to bring it alive. So the stuff in the book will transform your life when you apply it in your life. You be the actor and make it happen. You'll become the champion. You'll become the winner. You'll become the victor. So go to rexsykes.com forward slash book and, uh, and go and get yourself a free training enjoy the book, use the book, use the material to transform your life. Take a look at the other stuff that I have and know this, what you think you can and what you think you can't, you're absolutely correct. So don't let anything that you cannot do stop you from doing all the wonderful things that you can do. And I always say this, I say a couple of things and I end my blog every day this way, but if you consider everything a blessing, then everything is a blessing because what you think about it makes it so. Okay, and we've kind of discussed that. So make all of your moments magical, memorable, miraculous, and magnificent because you can. So celebrate everything. And with that, I'm Rex Sykes. Tony, it's been a pleasure. You're marvelous. Uh, I hope this goes far and near and that people share it and that you get all the wonderful benefit from from all the efforts that you're doing and everything that you're doing because you are remarkable and I'm better off for knowing you. So I thank you and I thank you for this opportunity. 
Thank you very much, Rex. Thank you for your time and everything. And, and by the way, our listeners, viewers, uh, all of Rex's social media will be listed on his page at the website, selfhelpcoaching.com. And I want to thank you very much, Rex. I, I meant everything I said about you. You have influenced me more than any other person. Other, other than my father, you have influenced me more than any other person. And I'm indebted to you in, in that way and the way you've helped me with creating Proficio and, and all these things I learn and profess and, and impart to other people. I look so much is from you and thank you very much. And I also want, I want uh, everyone listening to remember that everyone us, every one of us is responsible for ourselves and we could all use some help. And with that, thanks for being here and go and prosper. <laughs> thanks Rex. Love you. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.